0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply.
1: Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey everyone, we're pumped to be able to share an exclusive trailer with you after the show. From Bluewire Studios comes Golden Goal, Stories of Soccer Legends. Narrated by fellow Blue Wire host Brandon Kelly. Each Monday, two new episodes will take a look into some of soccer's biggest stars and the moments that define their careers. From Holland, Zlatan, Messi, Rapino, and many more each, episodes will focus in on the historical plays and personalities that make the sport great. So stay tuned after the episode and listen to Golden Goal, stories of soccer legends wherever you get your podcasts. Now hit the music.
2: Well, listen up. All you ever ask for is an opportunity. Right, Where right here? Right, right now.
1: now. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear. Be
3: aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are gonna turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me wanna oh. jump.
0: Well, it it tells me two things. It tells me that the NFL wants to have fans in the stands, and it tells me that they also want to protect their money. You and I may disagree on this, because if I I own a team,
3: I I understand this. I'm going to have a series of protocols. I'm going to tell fans where they can sit, if it's in their regular seat or close to their regular seat. I'm going to tell them how long the waits are when they're online. I'm going to tell them what the food situation is. I'm going to tell them. What the bathroom situation is, and if they're stupid enough to go to these ballparks and risk this sort of danger, I don't want to lose my money because of it. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill, season ticket holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was Tony Kornheiser from PTI. Chris. Wow,
1: He's Just being a crotchety old man.
4: <laughs> is he though?
3: Yes, is he, real? he is.
1: Yes, he is.
3: Folks, it is a beautiful week to be alive. It's another week of the Rock Powell report as we flesh out into two shows a week. Gone are the days of the two-hour monstrosity podcasts. And Chris, they were fun, but you gotta you gotta change with the times. And unfortunately, coronavirus has dictated that a lot of things have to be done differently these days. I and mean, you personally, your life hasn't been all that impacted. I mean, your work schedule didn't change, your work availability didn't change, your social schedule didn't change, since you don't talk to
1: people. No, I don't have a social (laughs) schedule at all.
3: So, So with that said, nothing's gone on in your life, but the majority of people have felt some disruption, and I just feel like this is a perfect opportunity for us to, I don't know, harness some of that. Chris, change with the times. See if, we can ju- see if we can find a way to make what we do here a little more palatable to all the people who, for some reason each and every week, show up to listen to us. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> well, for those of you out there stuck with us all these years, it's going to be great. We appreciate your weekly support. And with that, Chris, we're talking about coronavirus this week. And its effect. I mean, I mean ultimately, this is what it comes down to for me, Chris. The Buffalo Bills, its fan, and Western New York the fallout of COVID-19 as it continues. This offseason, of course, we here, I think we've done a pretty good job. We've put a lot of effort into keeping our listeners abreast of the fallout of COVID-19 as it pertains to football, specifically the Buffalo Bills and the NFL. And in all honesty, a lot of that's because it's a topic that I find myself being both a season ticket holder and a resident of Western New York morbidly fascinated by. Chris, this is an unprecedented situation. And so my free time has been filled with a lot of research on the topic. How do you... Do you ever just sit and wonder about these things and then... Because every time we get together and talk about this, I feel like you're nonplussed
1: by all of it. No, I mean, I don't think... Are you not genuinely curious? Not really. I mean, I think the state should be open up as a whole. Of course you do. Yeah.
3: And and listen, I I mean, I get it, like what Chris just said here. Some of the things we talk about in this show, they may come across to some of the people listening as unimportant, maybe downright offensive. I mean, there's people out there, Chris, who just snort laughed at the fact that they may take offense to this. But we've not only lost social media followers, which I'm no stranger to, given the way Chris has to sometimes take my phone away during uh, during Bill's games.
1: Yep, I had to do that.
3: but the number of messages and chris even a few emails that we got from people accusing me of doing something misguided by insinuating a few weeks ago in our show about COVID-19 and the fact that the NFL will happen or was more than like more likely than not to happen simply because the it was too lucrative and there was too much money involved and they were set up too well financially to not play football chris the number of people who reached out with frustration saying that I'm somehow a bad person because I believe in this. I mean, I saw on Twitter, Reed Ferguson, Reed Ferguson tweeted out, quote tweeted the tweet saying that from some pundit saying that the NFL season is likely in jeopardy and probably unlikely to happen because of the at the announcement of New York's moving into Western New York moving into stage four.
1: This is tweet about uh, no fans like NFL will yes. still happen, but no fans. And
3: all Reed did was quote the tweet and say, hey, there's still hope. There's still a lot of time. Let's stay positive. And everybody kind of his message was essentially stay positive and let's just keep doing the things that we have to do in order to get to a place where this is going to be possible. Somebody reached out and responded to that tweet saying, I'm glad I saw this because now I know you're one of the bad people. Chris, you're talking about a man who doesn't swear. Yeah. The man, who, let me get this straight. Leader on our football team. Captain. Church going man. Yep. Doesn't curse, but somehow he's quote unquote one of the bad people. Dang it. That's, that's where we are now, Chris. And we've been lumped into that category apparently by some people. The truth is I'm not out here telling anyone what they should do or how to think. I'm just providing food for thought. I mean, there isn't much they can get me to watch the news on TV these days, and I, I care about my sports team, and I care about the impact this disease is having on both my physical community and the community that we as fans make up amongst ourselves, regardless of where we come from. And so with the already scheduled kickoff of the NFL season getting closer and closer, it seems that through a series of announcements, the wheels have begun turning, you know, a couple months ago, we sat here and said we had no idea what a season would look like. We're starting to get a little bit of clarity on that now, and I think it's worth talking about. I mean, at least in terms of what the at least in terms of the Buffalo Bills season and what the future may hold for both the team and its fans. So, to kick this conversation off, Chris, New York State has officially moved into Stage Four. Okay? New York State Governor Cuomo announced last week that a number of areas in the state, including Western New York. We're going to be allowed to move on into stage four of the COVID reopening plan, just based on the metrics that we've been able to amass for testing and infection rates. So amongst that, Chris, more businesses are opening up. More things are being allowed to take place. Now, what are some of the some of the specifics, Chris? Do you know offhand?
1: No, all I care about that hair salons are open and I can go to them.
3: Yes, Chris, your precious salons. <laughs> so you can somehow tame whatever the hell is on top of your head right now.
1: Sweet mohawk.
3: They're going to be open. But but more interesting than that, Chris, is that when you look back, when all this was put together and they rolled out this tiered plan, you read it by definition, phase four, some people have referred to it as the final phase. It it allows schools, low-risk arts, entertainment and recreation businesses to reopen. With social distancing and things of that nature still still advanced Still being observed now. I myself play for a local softball league, and we received word that we're going to be able to go back to playing softball because it's an outdoor sport, unlike your roller hockey, which is inside. Inside, and but even with that, it comes with extra rules. Masks in the Chris, and this is what boggles me masks in the dugout, okay? Masks in the dugout where you can't socially distance, no masks in the field. They're trying their best, and yet they've been inundated with complaints from both sides. People who don't think that this is—you're you know, not doing enough—versus the crowd that says, "What? I can't spit. What do you mean I can't chew? I can't chew and spit in the dugout? This is an outrage." How are these entities supposed to operate, Chris? It's like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Correct. And so when I look at it, what it means to Western New York, though, on the whole, this area's move to stage four comes with a certain amount of trust applied to it. As we kind of watch infection rates in some states like Texas and Florida skyrocket. I mean, Chris, there was no tiered reopenings in those states. And because of it, people just went out and started doing whatever the hell they wanted to. I reached out to our friend on Twitter and listener to the podcast. One, He goes by Netminder 97, formerly One Buffalo Netminder. He's a resident down in Texas, and I asked him, what was this like? Because he's a bit of a boozer, kind of like we are. Yeah. <laughs> I just asked him the question. I was like, you know, what's what was it like? And he said, it's been difficult not going to bars because that's all he wants out of life. <laughs> and I brought up the fact that you know, when I saw the one warning, and it was like, okay, Friday as of midnight, emergency shutdown of all bars. He was like, it was a mad dash to the bar. For everybody, because they were like, oh my God, they're going to take our bars away. But that's the reason they went away in the first place, was because there was no structure set to how they reopened. I mean, Chris, it's, you're seeing it. You know, all over the place, he's frustrated. As one of the people who's trying to get out and enjoy his life, he's frustrated about the yo yo effect that took place down there. And obviously, because of those situations, New York State's being incredibly cautious. Overcautious in the eyes of some people. Not careful enough in the eyes of others. Like I said, Chris, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Whether you're the governor, or whether the governor, New York State as a whole, whether you're just some podunk softball league. I mean, they're they're trying, Chris. They're learning on the fly. I mean, they yanked movie theaters and malls. They were originally supposed to be part of this phase,
1: and now they're out. Yeah, that is upsetting. I did want to go to Express. <laughs> I
3: I don't I. Chris, you've exhausted my, I feel like you're exhausting my tank on different, just the jokes. Because I'm not a hack over here. If it comes to comedy, especially at your expense, I try to have fresh material, but you literally, you've trampled through all of it, like a Sherman tank.
1: Well, you are a hack. (laughs) You don't even talk into the microphone. It's been how many years, Chris? Five. We figured out, I'm never going to do it. No. But with that said, you take
3: a look at it. Colleges got given the green light. They were told that the situation was fluid and that any spike in testing would mean they'd have to close. Meanwhile, elementary and high school still aren't slated for a full reopening. And everybody's kind of keeping an eye on what else is going on around the country. I just got a letter from my employer. Stock letter that they have to send out to everybody. That essentially lets you know that now there's being, you know how like foreign countries have the U.S. on kind of a, almost like they've declared it's a no-fly zone. Yeah. New York State has now mandated that other states are quickly becoming no-fly zones in the sense that if you travel there, you have to notify your employer. Yeah. You have to notify your employer so they can keep tabs on you and just say, hey, now we know that you're a person that we have to look at as a... There's only so much of this you can plan for, Chris. Yeah. But they're they're doing what they think is best. And amongst all of this, Chris... Well, obviously, there are bigger fish in the world to fry. The question keeps being asked, what does it mean for sports? Now, the governor had previously given his blessing to the team playing football in 2020. But when asked, he kind of doubled down on the fact that, and I'm going to put this in quotes, as of today, meaning that for as long as Western New York remains in stage four, fans would not be permitted to attend those types of events. So that obviously leads to the recent announcements by the Buffalo Bills. Now, Whether you agree or disagree with the closures and the policies and the politics that go along with all of this, that's for you guys to debate. I mean, Chris, that's not what we're here for. We're here to drink and talk about football. And it wasn't long after the governor made that announcement that the Bills team started making a few announcements of their own, which I found really interesting. First of all, team, I think that was the headline that broke first. Was the team offered to refund tickets over the course of the 2020 season to any Canadian fans who couldn't cross the border into the U.S. at the time of the game because of COVID-19? That that seems like an appropriate measure, right? How are you going to sell tickets to somebody in another country if they can't even come?
1: Yeah, that seems legit to refund the Canadian fans.
3: But they then became one of the first teams in the NFL to give season ticket holders a pass, essentially, on this year's commitment to purchasing them, while still retaining their rights in the future. Now, that's, that's something to me, Chris, because previously, leading up to this, they had extended the payment dates. The Buffalo Bills organization had said, look, Chris, the payment for our season tickets.
1: Yeah, I still owe you another 150 Of course you do. Yeah. God. I'll
3: pay, I'll let you keep it if you just shave your head and promise to get just get rid of this thing.
1: No. It's worth I, that I, much to me to never have to see this again. I would rather give you $150.
3: <sighs> so our the money for our season tickets was originally due back in the spring. And then around April, they you know, our ticket rep called me and said, "You don't have to pay. Right now you don't have to make a payment. You make the first payment get on the plan, that way it doesn't go into default, and then wait for further instructions, essentially. Because he was like, you can you know, they, they, they have a tiered payment option. You can push it out as far as, I think... Originally, it was four payments, because you had to be paid in full by the time the season kicked off. So if you paid in April, May, June, July, or what was it? I think it was May, June, July, August. As long as you were paid for by the time football started getting pit played, you could... Watch, you could attend football that season and they'd let you parse it out like that. This year they said, hey, guess what? We're going to open up a six-month program. And then a 10-month program was floated. I saw that as one of the drop-down options. And then my rep called me and just said, look, I don't know when payments are going to be due, so you don't have to make them if you don't want to. Now this is back in probably this is before June,
1: May, this April,
3: probably mid-May when I got that phone call. Chris, I still went on and bought our tickets. I mean, that's the, the, there was never a thing in my mind that I wasn't going to do. But also, I understand from their standpoint, they're reacting not just to the coronavirus stuff, but also to the unemployment. Chris, how many people do you think right now
1: have had their finances disrupted by this? A lot. What's the country at 40 million unemployed? Was that where it peaked? I believe so. And I mean, those numbers
3: are changing every single week. Yeah. But ultimately, a lot of it has to do with the fact that while they are also trying to be sensitive to the coronavirus and the way that's kind of dictating policy, it's also trying to show sensitivity to the people, Chris, who may not... You may have had your season tickets for seven years, and now because of this thing it's wholly out of your control, you've made a commitment to buying them, but you don't have the finances to do so. So it was also kind of their way of placating the individuals who have been displaced by this. I I find it interesting that now they're literally allowing you to punt to next season. And Chris, do you think I made the right choice by, by buying them when I did? Even after being told by a rep that, because ultimately what it comes down to is if we don't attend, we just get a credit. I worked all the logistics out with him. It just comes back to us in the form of a credit towards whatever else we need to pay for in the future.
1: Yeah, what should be season tickets for next year.
3: So it's a no-lose its a no lose situation. Other yeah. than, I guess, if you wanted to break down the semantics of it, it's essentially an interest-free loan we've just given the Pagulas. Which, if anybody else is paying attention out there, some people, would, especially Sabres fans, would probably argue they need it right now. I mean, Chris, let's call a spade a spade. They just sold the ownership slash operation rights to the Tim Hortons at Harbor Center to an outside company. You couldn't run a Tim Hortons.
1: Wait, the Tim Hortons at Harbor Center closed?
3: No, they sold the ownership rights to another
1: company. Oh, my God.
3: (laughs) COVID. COVID, unemployment. Chris, things are changing rapidly. When you hear these announcements made by the team and you see the actions they're taking to try to placate fans as far as, hey, don't go anywhere, even if it's not until next year we're going to let you guys hang around, it certainly seems like they're hedging their bets on not being able to have fans, right?
1: Yeah, that's why they close off, what, the first six to eight rows for to put ads? That's already been decided.
3: First six to eight rows, no fans. We're going to sell ads to try to make up the lost revenue.
1: Can we buy a space in the end zone with our
3: <laughs> logo? Can
1: in the space?
3: How much are they going for? I don't know, Chris, but you know what? As the host of this podcast, I'd be happy to look into it for you. I'll make some calls.
1: Yeah, make some calls. I'd like to know if we can put a, a Rock Pile Report logo on a couple of seats in the end zone. Maybe by the tunnel.
3: I don't know why, but I'm, I'm reminded of the Bob's Burgers episode where he's all excited about how he bought a sign, an ad at the ballpark, and they go down to see it. And it's literally written on an eight x eleven sheet of paper that's hanging from the mesh at the back of the ballpark, and they need binoculars to see it. I feel like that's <laughs> what would happen to us, Chris.
1: Now we'd have to buy one on the tunnel end. That's where you get like the most camera views. You know, players coming out, for intros, going in for halftime. Oh, look! Hey, there's the Rock Port logo.
3: Listen, Chris, I know, I know. We just signed a partnership with Blue Wire. And I, I, you're, maybe it's giving you delusions of grandeur over here. You're not going to be able to pay for it with your good
1: looks. Think we can put their logo in like a, like a footnote below ours. I think it's a good idea. We got to look into that. Look I think into it's a, it. I think Jesus it's a good Christ. idea. Christ,
3: With looks like yours, we could probably buy half, half, half of a chicken finger sub. No sauce. No sounds, sauce. Sounds like a deal to me. Now, I have a theory about this, Chris. I think it's in, I think it's planning. You know, people have talked about oh no, it's goodwill towards the fans. They want to keep the fans engaged. I mean, you have to, Chris. At the end of the day, it comes down to it's a business decision. You have to make sure that in future years you're going to have these fans that you can tap to fill your seats. I also think though that the seeming generosity of these announcements and the fact that they're willing to do all of these things for previous year's season ticket holders. I think this is preemptive in terms of them trying to figure out how much heavy lifting they'd have to do in order to get people in the seats. First, by gauging how many people even want to show up in the first place. There's probably
1: some merit to that, right? Yes. Okay. I would assume somebody that is of a tenured season ticket holder, like 25 to 30 years, that is older and may have a slightly compromised immune system, Probably wouldn't want to go to games. Probably not. And meanwhile, there's people out there who agree.
3: that They'll go no matter what. So you're going to have conflicting ideologies amongst fans, but I think that this is also helping the team kind of ready themselves for whatever decisions may be coming down the pipeline by both the state, the NFL. Chris, again, the situation's completely fluid. But here's some financial food for thought. Football may not happen. And if it does, fans may not be able to attend the games. And for many people around the world rooting for the Bills, they probably didn't plan on attending anyway. And ultimately, this is a non-issue for them. But for those of us who live in the western New York area, it is kind of a scary concept when you consider the big picture of it all. Chris, there was an article. First, it was an announcement, which was kind of... (laughs) First of all, the Alabama, I think it was the governor, went on went out there and threw out a crazy number it was during a press conference and he stated that if Alabama college f- collegiate football didn't get played in Tuscaloosa at Bryant-Denny Stadium that year they stood they as a state stood to lose 2 billion dollars 2 billion 2 billion and of course the sticker shock set the internet on fire it went viral Darren Ravel and people like that were tweeting about it for days he then had to come out and according to al.com which is their essentially their version of NewYorkUpstate.com, they kind of printed something of a retraction on his behalf and said, look, he, he's copped to the fact that he misspoke. He may have seen a comma in a place where it didn't belong. So $200 million is the real tag that the immediate area surrounding the stadium and the school itself, Chris, stood to lose. I mean, here's the, here are the facts and figures around this. And this is just Chris this is just D1 football. But again, I'm an Alabama fan so this is where my attention's drawn to. Yeah, well, it's like pro football down there for them. The school itself stands to lose 100 and I think 176 million dollars over the course of the season if they can't play football. That's a lot of money. Yes it is. That money would tank pretty much their entire athletic program no sports would be able to be played because the athletic department wouldn't have the revenue to put out sports. So even those where it might be safe to socially distance and actually compete, sorry, you don't have a season because the school doesn't have the money to do it. And the bigger picture, Chris, and this is where it gets scary for guys like you and me, Tuscaloosa, Alabama only posts $156 million in total revenue once all costs are applied, but they believe they could lose over $200 million without the school playing football. That's how much of their revenue is tied into, I mean, obviously they make more, like $156 million is their kind of like, this is our, what we have in our operating accounts once costs are associated. So they could lose $200 million without the school taking the field. The area surrounding the college is losing $1.5 to $2 million a month in sales tax revenue without students on campus. That's crazy. $2 million a month just because a collegiate university doesn't have people walking around on it. And then there's this. The announcement... The announcement comes that as of now, the school is still saying it has plans to play a full football season. And there are no official f- plans to reduce capacity in Bryant Denny Stadium, where the Alabama Crimson Tide play, to allow for social distancing. They're said to be taking a positive outlook on it all. Now, Chris, there are people out there who probably got really angry hearing that. I'll say this that's probably not them being tone deaf. Ignorant to science, it's probably not them being greedy, which is what I've, I've seen people accuse each other of on social media really often when it comes to disagreements about this topic of COVID-19. But it instead speaks to their fear that the local economy could crumble and maybe never recover without its cornerstone businesses operating to keep things afloat while the rest of the economy just struggles to stabilize. So when I saw that, I thought to myself, what does that mean for my hometown if the same thing were to happen here in Buffalo? Now, this isn't meant to be a counterpoint. Chris, I feel like I need a disclaimer, like a warning, like a warning sign if you would a drop for that. This is not meant to be a counterpoint to anyone who believes that sheltering in place or using PPE is the way to you know, is the way to address this. The way to get through corona. It's not meant to be a call for everyone to go out in public without a mask and start partying like it's 1999. I mean, let's face it. If you are taking your cues on epidemic response from Chris and I, I mean, can, listen to me. I'm the guy who threatens to chew the neck off glass bottles, and Chris looks like a cockatiel right now. If you're taking your actual cues on how you're going to conduct yourself in this type of a situation from what we say and do, you're in a bad place. Like, you're already, Chris, you're already one, what, one step out of the boat. You're yeah. standing in a canoe?
1: Yeah, why would you come to us for actual news?
3: <sighs> but instead, this conversation is simply meant to provide a balanced and a unique look. Because I, don't, I haven't heard anybody out there talking about it. And it's also to satisfy my own curiosity. Just a unique look at a f- one facet of what is a complex issue. And that's how fanless football or no football could truly economically impact the western New York area. But Chris, are we the two guys to do all the research and have that conversation with each other? Absolutely not. So in that way, we had to go out and find someone much smarter than the both of us to do it. Just want to take a second to remind you all that there is no shortage of action going on over at our partners betonline.ag. Sports, they're making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and the lines for UFC, NASCAR, boxing, international football matches. If you need even more than that, if real action isn't enough, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, streaming live on their website that you can wager on. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets you can go check out. Visit BetOnline.ag and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That's B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E, all one word, for a free welcome bonus. One word, BlueWire. BetOnline. Your online wagering experts. And so with that, I'd like to introduce, for the first time on our show, Mr. Paul Lane from Buffalo Business First. How are you tonight, sir? I'm doing fantastic. How are you, gentlemen? We're, we're doing great. We're doing great. It's, it's, it's good to have you on the show. I've been following your work now for a few years. We were talking about that uh, earlier today. You—it's funny when I went to reach out to you about coming on the show, you were already following us on Twitter, which I kind of got—I got a kick out of that because I was like, "This guy has no idea who I am." I follow his work, and he's following us on social media. Kismet.
5: Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna lie and tell you I listen to every episode, but yeah, you guys have been around a long time. I know who you are. I love it. Now, are you
3: yourself a Buffalo sports fan?
5: I am. I grew up. In the area, Uh, I've lived here all my life except for four years uh, when I went to Syracuse University. Um, So I grew up around the time uh, when the Sabres, we thought it was boring when they would make the first round and lose every year. We thought that was as bad as it could get. Uh, Just for some perspective, we would (laughs) beg and steal and plead for times like that right now. (laughs) Um, But I remember, uh, you know, being on my knees, literally praying uh, when Scott Norwood was lining up for his kick. Um, I was home from college watching no goal. Uh, I got calls from all my college buddies when the music city miracle happened. So I've, I've been following for, you know, decades. Yeah.
3: See, so Chris, if anybody can understand the way that this situation is impacting the tie in sports, the local area, it's certainly Paul here and you are a reporter for Buffalo business. First, you are listed as the data reporter. And a lot of your articles, which is why I'm drawn to them, seem to, you pay a lot of attention to the, the metrics around financial issues as it pertains to different markets oh, and different segments of local business, right? Would you say
5: it's fair? Uh, I'd say that's fair. That's exactly what Business First tries to focus on because uh, we're not going to beat other outlets in coverage of, you know, straight game day coverage or some other areas. Our niche is trying to dive into the numbers and finding, you know, the, the, the quote we use is business intelligence. Um, whatever that may mean, we try to dig that out and find that for the reader.
3: Well, and I think you you've really, you guys have a knack for it over there. And I think it's interesting as it pertains to tonight's conversation as we're talking about the financial impact of COVID-19, at least as far as the Buffalo Bill season is concerned. So the first thing that drew me to this topic and said, hey, I have to talk to Paul. In 2019, you wrote an article on sports and the Western New York economic impact of them and just what the benefits that the region enjoys just from having athletes and having the existence of these sports franchises operating here within Western New York. Now, it was really interesting as you looked through the numbers that you dug up. One of my questions, what were some of the surprising aspects of your research from that article? I mean, were there any numbers or f- facts that you dug up about it that really surprised you?
5: Um, well, I was surprised, first of all, uh, you know, consulting with uh, lawyers at Hodgson Russ, who uh, they specialized in tax issues like this. Um, a player, uh, say a Sabres player, let's say Jack Ico, if he's here uh, one day more than half the year, he counts as a resident for tax purposes, regardless of if he, you know, he doesn't consider this as full-time home. You know, if he goes back to Massachusetts or or wherever he may, you know, consider home, if he spends more than half the year here by a single day, uh, counts as residency. And then, you know, he's gotta write his check to Governor Cuomo. Um, And that doesn't have to be, you know, nights spent here. If they practiced here, it counts. Training camp counts. not that the postseason has been an issue, but the postseason would count. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I found that to be a little bit surprising. Um, and also, I mean, you, you you know, of course we realize that these guys make more money in a year than most of us will see in our lifetime. Um, but to see, you know, the average tax contribution, the total tax contribution, I mean, having these teams here, you know, by the very rough math I did, Uh it it equated to about twenty seven million dollars in taxes that they're paying between uh you know, they're paying property taxes, uh on the houses that are way above average, and even for average houses they're high around here. Um, you know they have to eat, they have to do some form of entertainment. Uh, you know, they're not training constantly, so sales tax, every little thing you don't think about, you know, they gotta go buy something from Home Depot, that's more, more tax revenue coming in so you know just putting the numbers on that you don't think about them you know the, the, the human elements of you know living in an area and working but you know digging into that number it was higher than i would have thought
3: well and that was one of the things when, when i'm reading your article and you say here that just the buffalo bills players being in the area on an annual basis for tax calculation purposes account for 17.7 million dollars in taxable revenue that's insane. That in and of itself, I, I mean, there's businesses that can't put that out on an annual basis, and that's just for people living here. So that's not even to say fans attending the games, and that's not, that, that has nothing to do with the money that actually gets spent at the stadium. And I, I guess that's the incredible thing about this, Chris. Now, you being a layman who doesn't understand anything about business or finances or what, anything that we're talking about, the amount of money like if I told you that small... You could probably wrap up a dozen small businesses in the area with the amount of money that gets put into Western New York's coffers just by athletes residing in the area. Is that surprising to you? Slightly. Okay. So, but, but it also kind of paints a picture of they play a big part of what goes on here in Western New York in terms of money. Yeah.
1: And then uh, you also think about, like, charity events... Like that Micah Hyde softball tournament? Mm-hmm. How much money does that bring in?
3: Well, and that's it. There's, It's hard to, Paul's point, it's hard to put a true price tag or a true figure on the economic benefit of having this organization here. But you can start to try. And what you find out, though, as you go through it long enough, is just the players themselves being here, not even fans in the seats. It's more than a lot of small businesses combined here in the region as far as what they... Put into the state. Now, when you take a look at the COVID financial impact so far in Western New York throughout this crisis, it's gone. Chris, it's no secret that it's disrupted the global economy. So it would be silly to think that the region that hosts the Buffalo Bills here in Western New York would be immune. We, the team, has kind of endured its own set of financial struggles, which I, I and the region is enduring some financial struggles, which you, on almost a week-to-week basis, are digging into over at Buffalo Business First. Over the course of the last few months, you have had a number of articles about the kind of outlining different sectors of the region, the different business segments and how they're doing, the overall health of them, and kind of giving a scope as far as how many people these companies employ. Now, most of Western New York's revenue comes from sales tax. I took that from the uh, uh, County controller's fiscal reporting from 2019. Sales tax is the largest driver of economics here in Western New York. And so far, Western New York this summer has lost the following tax-generating events, Chris. Theme parks have closed. Concerts in both the city and the outlying regions in Darien Lake, Art Park, and the Arena. I mean, I had tickets to a Tool concert, which to me was a bucket list kind of a thing, back in early May. And I had to beat the bum's rush in order to get four seats. I'm sure there's hundreds of people listening out there right now who live in this area who have a similar experience. But Paul, when you look at this, how important do you think, or at least how big of an impact do you think these closures and these postponements and the just outright disappearance of events here have made as far as that sales tax revenue is concerned?
5: Oh, I mean... Uh, you know, putting a number on it again is, is kind of a, a useless task to try and do, but it's huge. You know, you mentioned concerts. Um, how many of these shows, like uh, the two shows at, at New Era Field that got canceled this summer, how many Canadians would have come in and, and brought potentially tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, overnight hotels? They're buying three beers at $20 a pop. Uh, you know, that's all money that's out the window. Uh, Darian Lake, you, you know, Drawing people from from Rochester and perhaps Syracuse, Central New York—that's money that's that's not coming in, uh, you know. And for an area starving for for people and for 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 you know any revenue stream, you know that is a, a massive hit. Um,
3: Tourism you know, in the Niagara Falls area. Tourism in the Niagara Falls area, Chris hit a fifteen-year low. Fifteen-year low, and that's because that's a, and that's only because the report I was looking at chose to make it a 15-year window. This might be an all-time low for tourism in an area that's usually, Chris, over the summer, Niagara Falls, that area attracts a ton of attention around the country.
1: I'll have to go up there and uh, take a visit if there's going to be less people around there.
3: (laughs) Chris Chris is the type of person, Paul, who socially distances. Uh He was doing social distancing before it was cool. (laughs) that's just the type of human being he is i mean look at his hair come on that's not the type of guy who draws a crowd
5: (laughs) but um well i could i could tell you a quick aside i live in niagara falls actually and one of my favorite summer pastimes is to uh go to the park and look for the license plates from all 50 states and you can usually find all the canadian provinces too um so yeah you're right none of those people are here uh I mean, that's tens to hundreds of millions of dollars just down the waterfall, so to speak.
3: So now based on your research, because I've seen you cover everything from, I mean, you were doing architecture. One of the cool things that Paul does over there is he puts out lists and he'll write an article about, he'll write an article about a given sector of business and then he'll, there'll be an accompanying list of here's the companies that make up this sector, here's who they employ, here's their annual revenue. You compile all this data, which, again, I'm not much for fluff. I like numbers. I like data analysis. I, that's that's what gets my blood pressure rising. So with that said, based on your research, would you say, how would you say some of the area's largest employers are doing financially throughout the course of this?
5: Well, um, I mean, the largest employers, you know, that the healthcare, care, uh, it's been well reported, you know, places like Catholic Health and Kaleida, people are, furloughs are ongoing. Um manufacturing, you know, is down as it is. It's still a big player here, uh, and there's all kinds of reports, you know, furloughs. Uh, Bob Comper over at Comper Plastics, he lost a major client because he wasn't able to produce the, the, the product for them uh, due to having to, to shut down. Um, education is, is uh, another big one. Um, they won't be direct, as directly impacted initially because, you know, contracts cover even if they have to do the work online, you know, they're still getting paid. But down the road, as, you know, some of these tax issues we talked about, you know, it's going to start to impact areas like that, too. Uh, you know, I, I do uh, dabble in higher education, too. Uh, some of the smaller colleges, you know, enrollment is expected to take a huge hit. Harvard, for example, today just announced they're going all online. And who's paying 50 grand to take a computer course? So, um. You know, some of the smaller colleges, if they're forced to continue down that path, it—I mean—it could be the end of them within a year or two.
3: Well, and that's—and and that's the thing. When you're talking about big colleges versus small colleges, you're talking about Harvard. Harvard is still going to stick around. The institution of Harvard won't close if it has to go to online classes for a year. But these, some of these smaller schools, might not survive a giant lapse in enrollment. Now, in that way. How do you think the small businesses here in Buffalo, New York stack up against those businesses that have larger overhead costs, but obviously they have a little more security? These smaller businesses, restaurants, hotels, things of that nature, that may in fact rely on pro sports and their fans and their consumption of football games.
5: What's the forecast
3: for businesses like that?
5: Um, bleak, bleak. I mean, even if the Bills play, they're, they're likely not going to have fans or very limited fans this year. So, you know, everyone from, from the bars nearby, uh, the people who who make their mortgage payment letting people park in their yard for $20 a pop, um, you know, all kinds of uh, merchandise vendors and, and manufacturers we have in the region, region, you know, Adpro, uh, they crank out some of the merchandise. Um, you know, if there's no games... There's, there's not nearly as much demand for, for a lot of these things. And um, even, the you know, brewing, uh, the, the breweries in the area, uh, you know, fewer tailgates, fewer parties, fewer sales. You know, is, is are they going to make it to 2021? Um, you know, even printers, you know, they, they print those programs, uh, 80,000 programs every game. All those sales 10 times a year, including preseason, are out the window. So, you know. A lot of things you might not think about, but they're in for a rough second half of 2020. And
3: that's been one of the hardest parts here. And that's kind of what I want to expand on here as we kind of move along in this conversation. You've spent a ton of time over there at Buffalo Business First keeping tabs on the state of these types of businesses. And you've spent time covering some of the average sports fans most commonly interacted with industries. So when I take a look at this, now we started this conversation before we brought you in talking about the losses that the University of Alabama was talking about. How the governor goes on record and says, hey, $200 million to the surrounding area around the college if the games don't take place. He's calling it just a loss and talking about the devastating impact that's going to have on their ability to put on public program, public assistance, and what that's going to do to them over the long term. So, knowing what we know about that, I think it's interesting to try to prognosticate as to what the impact of it could be for the western New York area if the Bills do suffer a similar fate, and how some of these smaller businesses, which make up a big part of the fan game day experience, might fare. To your point, you recently had a list of the printers, and you were talking about the printing industry. They take a monster hit, and that's something very few fans ever stop to think about. That is actually one of the detriments to, I shouldn't say detriments, but There's a printing company somewhere here in Buffalo, maybe a few of them, that rely on that revenue. I mean, here's what I'm looking at, first and foremost. O'Neill's, the bar across the street from New Era Field where I, in front of my wife, my parents, because, Chris, my parents will support me in anything no matter how stupid it is, and probably about 30 of our diehard podcast fans, WGR 550's Nate Geary and Maniac from Trainwreck Sports, They all came out to support me taking on the Vontae Davis Reaper Wing Challenge. I'd like to say that I won. I'd like to say I came out on top of that one. I have the shirt to prove it. Great bar, Chris. It's been an institution in that neighborhood. Their owner recently went on record saying that if there were no fans allowed at games and they lost foot traffic, parking, and game day sales, that alone would constitute a 26% loss of annual revenue for them. When you combine that with the losses that they've already sustained over the summer between not being able to open, losing their summer concerts, losing volleyball leagues, any kind of events they wanted to throw there, they could genuinely be in jeopardy of closing their doors. Through no fault of their own, just because, listen, businesses outside of ours made decisions. Doesn't doesn't that seem scary if you're a business owner here in Western New York?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's it's prime area for a bar right next to the stadium. You wonder how the other, uh, the was Buffalo Beer Garden is across the street. Yep. And then on the other side of the stadium, you got the Big Tree Inn yep. and Danny's, and, and how they're going to be affected by all this. Well,
3: oh, I'm sure they're all in the same boat. I mean, Paul, through your research and experience here, is this becoming a common story among restaurateurs in the area?
5: Absolutely. I mean, unfortunately, some aren't even with us still to, to have to worry about it come the fall. Uh, you know, they couldn't even make it this long. Um, but it absolutely is, you know, they're uh, honestly, they're a lot of them are, that, that I'm hearing. They're not even worried yet about football season because they just got to get through July. Um, you know, it's really just a month to month approach. You know, not only the, the loss in revenue, they finally able to reopen, but, um, I was at one in here, here in Niagara Falls just yesterday. Uh, they said We're, we can't bother to reopen, you know, dine-in feeding because we just have no way to regulate it effectively without potentially making everybody sick. So that is somewhat of a common theme, you know. Just because you can doesn't mean it's feasible. Um, not to mention, just you know, um, with unemployment being what it is right now, you know, even if you can reopen. If your people are making more on unemployment, you know, I've heard that a lot. Uh, you know, they can make more on unemployment. So why would they come back to reduced hours to what could potentially be, you know, a petri dish of, of COVID under a worst case scenario? Chris, you, you
3: and I, you have to, as you're driving around, you see help wanted signs outside of what I'd say half, at least half the restaurants I drive past.
1: Yeah, I've seen that.
3: I mean, and I'll say this: I recall a lot of bars over the years that relied on specific calendar-based income to survive that just didn't make it. I mean, this was this was going on pre-COVID. I was actually almost through this weird series of events, a minority partner in owning a bar in downtown Buffalo called Cozumel. It was a tequila bar. I mean, I'm, were you familiar with
5: it, Paul? Um. Yeah, yeah, maybe a, a, a shot or two was had there in in overtime. <laughs> they had
3: issues. I mean, hell, that's why you put a bar up for sale. <laughs> they had issues. The ownership group, they had some hurdles. They had some of their own personal financial quirks that they weren't sure if they were going to make it out of. And the bar all of a sudden became available. And I found myself in a position where I could have bought them along with a couple other people. A minority st- I would have had a minority ownership stake in it, but I could have hit a bar, Chris. And before any of that could get finalized, I mean, thank God it didn't happen. Bars are a money pit. Let's just call it. Even in good times, if it's not orchestrated properly, you can lose your ass in a bar. I can't picture you. Oh, it would have been the worst thing that ever happened in my life. We're it, going back to 20, 2010, I want to say, 2010, around there.
1: You owning a bar to me would probably, in my head right now, I'm just picturing the early episodes of Parks and Rec where Aziz Ansari is like buying a share in the snake hole lounge. I just think that's, that's going to be like, that would be, that would be you. Oh, I'd
3: be much more belligerent. I'd be shirtless a lot more often. It would have been horrible, but before any of that could even get finalized, they had to make it to summer. That was when things were supposed to be finalized and they were banking on their annual Cinco de Mayo party. Now picture this, Chris, you're on Elmwood, one of the busiest areas of downtown Buffalo. You've got a patio Everything's out there, it's, it's the perfect spot, it's prime for a party, and they would make thousands upon thousands of dollars in their Cinco de Mayo party. And they were banking on that to get them back into the black, at least enough to meet their operating costs, pay off their debt, and avoid being foreclosed on. And they went under the first week of April that year. They didn't even make it. So to Paul's point, this happens. This is a thing that happens to restaurants and bars in good times. For the bars and restaurants around the Bills Stadium that are relying on that, that have made it, Chris, a part of their their operating cycle, that's a death knell for them if there's no fans allowed in the stadium. You're closing those businesses. It would seem to put a premium on the Bills not only playing, but for Western New York to remain in a category that would allow these establishments to be able to host fans, no?
5: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean... You know, aside from there are so many aspects with the financial, the social, uh, just so removed from reality. If 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 we're not having football season the way we're used to football season, it's just, um, despite the fact that this year teaches us to expect anything. Like I still can't expect and, and anticipate what that would be like fully. Well,
3: and then another article that I found over at Buffalo Business First. That was put up by a couple of your coworkers that kind of directly feeds off this, you know, the uncertainty around the restaurant the foot. Because, Chris, those restaurants and bars, people have to walk past them to get to the stadium. Yep. And then after the game, when everyone lets out, how many of those people don't go home? They go out and they have a couple beers, they wait for traffic to die down, they have to find a place to go. So the bars kind of thrive off that extra income. Well, another article that was put up by people over there in a corollary market that would also be directly impacted by not just a lack of fan attendance to games, which would impact tailgating, in-stadium sales, but also the financial struggles of the bars and restaurants, is the thriving craft beer industry here in Buffalo, New York. I mean, quietly here in Buffalo, as our city has become revitalized, craft beer has fueled a lot of that local growth and kind of a, a burst in employment. Just in terms of revenue generation, Creating new jobs. Chris, over the last 10 years, how many new breweries have popped up? Just that you can call off the
1: top of your head. Well, there's a lot because, you know, I used to work in manufacturing uh, devices to test CO2 in your alcohol. So we had a ton of uh, customers around Buffalo your Hamburg, Big Ditch, 42 North, Resurgence. So, Chris, you might actually be a,
3: a perfect person to ask this. So, your old employer. Your yep. old employer made equipment specifically to support the craft beer industry. So then your business kind of goes as they go.
1: Yeah.
3: Except they have a probably a higher operating budget than you do. They probably have more in their operating accounts than your company.
1: Uh yeah, I mean uh well, the company that I work for, we Handled a lot across the United States and the world. We're one, okay. They were one of the leaders in the world in producing these devices. Because I was going
3: to say, you would take a hit if the craft beer market were to suddenly dry up.
1: Yes. And at the at the time I left that job, we were still... It was still rising. Like, we were trying to keep... Like, With I brought demand. our... Yeah, I brought our lead time down from, like, eight weeks to two weeks. And then it would occasionally... Based on orders, it would spike back up to four weeks because we could never get ahead.
3: <laughs> so, picture that. All of a sudden, all of that business demand is just gone. It evaporates. I mean, that's essentially what's here's what craft beer, what people who, those of you out there who may not know, what it's done for Buffalo new businesses supplying revenue where there was none. You know, whereas before, what you'd see is kind of a turnover of businesses in the area. I mean, Chris, we're not called the Rust Belt for nothing. <laughs> If you were to walk through downtown Buffalo, you'd find a number of kind of dilapidated and just vacant industrial properties all over the city. And in those places, distilleries and breweries started popping up because they were the perfect structures for a brewery operation. They had the space. They were already commercially zoned. It's the perfect. It's kind of the floor plan already exists for something like that. And these businesses started taking off, filling a void. Instead of just transferring one revenue generation type to another company name, you're creating revenue that never existed before. And there's a value to that, especially when it comes to money that gets pumped back into the area. Now, back in April 2nd, your friends over there at Buffalo Business First wrote about the state of craft beer and how local breweries were really taking it on the chin. And that was back in April. I mean, Big Ditch lost for what, Big Ditch? Chris, they're they're, they're one of the major local breweries now, would you say?
1: Yeah, they're right in the city, too.
3: They're right in the city. They lost 50% of their annual sales because of draft beer. Draft beer, that's it. Because bars weren't open. So when you think about it like that, bars opening, just being closed, cut their sales in half. (laughs) So as... And they're not alone. So as bars and restaurants either don't open or as something like New Era Field, think about the concessions demand in a stadium like that. I mean, Paul, again, there's no way to put a price tag on what they generate over at New Era Field in concessions on a week-to-week basis. But it's astronomical in terms of companies like that being able to get their foot in the door and sling their product during game days. Wouldn't Wouldn't you have to agree with that?
5: Oh, absolutely. Like, if I'm uh, one of the guys who started Lloyd, you know, I'm I'm sweating big time right now because they just got their concession deal there a couple years ago, and now that could be out the window. Um, even, you know, a big company like Labatt, um, will they miss it? I don't know, but that's a big chunk of sales, you know, all those blue lights that aren't being bought at the stadium, um, you know, you got your... Uh, Salins, you know that that's taking a big chunk. Even the operator, you know, Delaware North, you know, but everywhere, you know, their their company is being decimated. They started putting people on on furlough in the spring. You know, they they operate how many parks and how many other places, airports, you know, that that stream is dried up too. So, um, it it's just yeah, the trickle effect just keeps going and going and going. Even down to the papermakers who to hold the pretzels. And the plastic bucket's for the popcorn. It just keeps going.
3: And so that's it. And just to give you guys an idea of the scope that something like that would happen. What is it? Buffalo Niagara Craft Brewers Association. That's not even all of the breweries fit under that umbrella, but just some of them. They employ more than 2,100 people here locally. If they were to continue to lose revenue, and if game day doesn't happen, so let's say the bars and restaurants around the stadium, let's say half of them close, Chris. And there's no concession sales at the stadium, which cuts off. So craft beer that just fought so hard to get their foot in the door there? I'm sure they paid a lot. I'm sure there's fees associated with getting in there, because that's how that works. You kind of have to grease the wheels in order to get in the door. Those businesses could suffer losses that then trickle down to the local economy and in the form of jobs. Not just loss of taxable revenue, but also jobs are being lost. And, not, and these aren't jobs that like, oh, hey, I can just go fill them again because that person went and fought. These are companies that can close their doors permanently. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. I mean, ultimately, not only are bars and restaurants that rely on sports fans drinking beer vulnerable, so too are the companies that supply them with the product that we as football fans, especially if you're old enough to have had to drink your way through this 17-year playoff drought. Chris, we rely on that stuff. So whether you're going to the stadium, whether you're watching at home on TV, you, those companies are still vulnerable. It's, it's incredible to me. And then you to your point, Paul, you hit on something else. The, the people who park cars, people forget about that. Chris, our lot, the mud lot, our guy bought it off of a guy who had to sell the parking lot. Now, his lot fits
1: about, what, 250 cars, would you say, Chris? Two hundred to two hundred and fifty to three hundred on a sunny home opening day when it gets to November, December and we get like a snowstorm and that center part, you can't park in that oh, center you part. Can't park
3: there. Yeah. If, if you roll it's up it's called a, the mud lot. Yeah.
1: <laughs> if you roll up in a Saturn, you're going to get stuck.
3: <laughs> I can't. We can't tell you, folks, the number of people Chris and I have had to push out of these parking lots both before and after Bill's games. But so with that said, there's definitely an impact to those people as well. And here's one of the things. So the owner of Hammer's Lot, probably the most famous of all of the Buffalo Bills parking lots. It's where Pinto Ron sets up shop every Sunday. He recently spoke to the Buffalo News about all the gray area that still exists around tailgating because his property is commercially zoned, commercially registered, unlike most of the houses that people just... Chris, you have the people who... Park cars in the front lawn. Yeah. Do you know how how much less red tape there is involved than what the owner of that lot has to go through? Yeah, because there's no house there. It's just a lot. So his thing was nobody's sure what this is going to look like, but he just knows it's going to cost him his shirt in terms of lost revenue. He was saying his quote, economically, it's going to (sighs) sting. But he said that's a soft way of saying it. It is what it is. You just have to make the best out of the situation. And he was on a, did a radio interview with WBEN recently. And he said, he's like, he's like, I wonder, can I apply for small business loans? He's like, I, I don't know. I don't know what to do. Because I don't know if I qualify. I don't know if I meet any of the standards because I don't technically have employees. I just own a lot. And people park there. And he's already losing out to your point. You want to talk about canceled concerts. The Rolling Stones concert that got postponed? Yeah. In fact, I think they just outrightly canceled it, didn't they?
1: Maybe. Uh, Rolling Stone and I think Billy Joel was coming, too. Yeah. So
3: he's lost out on those future revenues simply because the events didn't take place. He still has to pay for that. He still has to pay his taxes for his permits. He still has to pay for his insurances. He still owes all of these things. And it's slowly bleeding him out. And there's a number of people, even Chris our Mudlot, I've had conversations with the guy who owns the mud lot. And you know what he tells me? Because I asked him. I go, why do you employ this group of people? Because he's probably one of the smartest when it comes to parking for tailgates. He has a crew yep. that drives around all afternoon in like a Honda Odyssey, like an SUV. And they just drive – not an SUV. They, they drive around in this little like go-kart but bigger. It's not a gator but it's close. But It's like got a, a golf cart. But it's got a roll cage. Yeah. <laughs> it's got golf a golf cart. It's was- aggressive.
1: Yeah, it's a golf cart with a roll cage. So it's like a Honda Odyssey, but with a roll cage.
3: So they go out there and they drive around the lot, making sure nobody's drinking underage, that there's no out of control fires. They don't have to do this. They're employed by him. And in talking to him about it, he said, do you know how many millions of dollars of insurance I have that I have to pay for? Because this is my home. He's like, yeah, this is part of my property, but it's also where I live. So if someone breaks their leg on my property and sues me, I have to know that I can cover that. Yeah. There are people who are losing their shirts because they can't drop those expenses, but they're they're looking at potentially losing out on all of that income of being able to park, to Chris's point, 250 cars on a good day at, what, $40 a pop? Yeah, 40 bucks a car. I mean... Paul, there's a lot going on here in these kind of ancillary businesses and things that people don't think about that I think paint a bigger picture of how not having football here would, ex- it would have an extremely adverse impact in the western New York region. Do you agree with that?
5: Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, you know, the numbers out of Alabama, Tuscaloosa, if, if the college season, the SEC doesn't happen. I'm not sure it would be that drastic only because Tuscaloosa, it's it's a one-horse town. You know, Alabama, the Crimson Tide are all they have down there. And while Buffalo's not huge, there is another level of diversification. Uh, just like when you invest, you diversify your assets, you mm-hmm. take less of a hit. There's a diversification of economy here. The hit will be less than something like that or some of those other SEC towns, you know, those ACC towns, the, the Big 12. Um, but, you know, yeah, for a place where we're already, you know, dreading what the next budgets are going to look like. You know, you've heard the warnings for, from Mark cars, from, from the governor, from the mayor. Um, yeah, not having that revenue stream when we were hoping this would have been a two-month thing. I mean, that, that you know, we're, we're talking years to recover. And,
3: and I guess that's the thing is, so for those of you outside the region or even those who live here who may be ignorant to it, the loss of revenue, not just from players being here, but if even if players are here and they're playing the football games, it still doesn't guarantee that fans are going to be here. And even just the loss of fans might be dire enough to put a lot of businesses out of business, people out of work. And then the trickle down effect of that, how much how, how important are these all these taxable revenues to public services and things that the county offers public assistance different public programs public schools things of that nature I mean paul with your expertise how big of a trickle-down effect are we potentially looking at here just from sports alone
5: well um, I mean certain things do have a bit more protection like uh, food stamps you know the snap program uh, depending on the vernacular you want to use you know there are federal pro- protections for that. There are some federal protections for for Medicaid and things of that nature. Um, But, you know, we're talking about things like CPS are funded at the county level. You know, um, you mentioned police, you know, that's funded at the local and and the county level. Uh, You know, say what you want about the police about current circumstances. Life would be a lot different if the force was down 50 percent and not in a good way, Uh, which is something that, that could happen because you you know you can only put off expenses so long. Sooner or later you got the, the scalpel out and you have got to start cutting. Um, there are housing programs in a lot of communities. Uh, you know, try to build up first-time homeowners to build up a tax uh, a window uh, entries that receive money or local. Support. Uh, they aren't going to uh, have any money.
3: No, I know, I know plenty of people who only have a home because of first time homebuyer programs. Because they were, they, they found a bank that participated in these first time homebuyer programs that were backed by the local government that essentially said, look, if I save my money for five years, I'll finally be able to have the money for the down payment on a house. And that's the only reason that they own a home. So losing something like that would, <laughs> Again, I guess what I'm trying to get at here, in summary, for everyone listening here, because you've heard me drone on about numbers and this isn't Buffalo Bills football-related, Chris, I can already see the negative comments coming. It's hilarious to me. Get me a beer out of the fridge. I got to (laughs) drink. Hand me a beer. You know what? To you people out there who would say this, here's what you have to understand. The ripple effect of these decisions that are coming when it surrounds the Buffalo Bills are going to be huge, not just in the science behind infection rates and things like this, but also as it pertains to the financial health of the region. There's no perfect answers. That's it. I mean, on one hand, the medical evidence says the safest thing in the world is to continue sheltering in place and avoiding large gatherings. And on the other hand, the mounting toll that this aversion to those sorts of things is taking on the economies around the country, it's palpable. And here in Buffalo, it threatens not just the fabric of the quote-unquote game-day experience, Chris, for fans, fans of sports, people who enjoy, but jobs and livelihoods of those in the community and the Western New York community to fund its schools and its public programs. There is no perfect answer for any of this, Chris. And it's gonna be incredibly interesting to see how the money dictates how policy is shaped and how this stuff happens. And there's a reason Kim Pagula has a seat at the table down in Albany. It's because the decision makers at the highest level in this state have realized that the Buffalo Bills are an integral part of the revenue situation here in New York. So you have to believe that if Albany recognizes that the Bills are valuable, they have to be almost 10 times as valuable here to just the local economy. It's a scary situation, but it's something we're all going to – listen, we're all going to go through it together. It's a long road, and I just appreciate that we have journalists like Paul to help us stay abreast of everything that's going on around us. Now, Paul, where can people find your work, and do you have anything upcoming that you'd like to plug?
5: Well, um, we are online uh, at bizjournals.com backslash buffalo, uh, bizjournals.com backslash buffalo. Uh, I am on Twitter, um, at B-F-L-O-B-I-Z data. Buffalo is Data, abbreviated. Um, and upcoming, um, we, we have been working on a, a, a continuing series, you know, following small businesses. Uh, for example, you know, I followed, uh, Anderson's Custard for a while. We followed Colvin Cleaners. Uh, um, we're gonna be continuing with that throughout the year just to kind of track how COVID continues to impact them, um, and for anything related to that, you know, we follow the the, the Payroll Protection Program very closely. So, uh, you know, keep, keep with us, and 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 we'll have your financial numbers
2: covered.
1: All right, go find Paul on Twitter at BFLOBIZDATA, BuffaloBizDATA data Buffalo Biz Data on Twitter. It's an interesting conversation stuff that you. Generally, just love is the economics of this city, Chris. It's a lot to take
3: in, and Chris, I still have more. Like I could, I could pour this over your head like a bucket. Like here's one of the things: the average person probably doesn't realize this, but law says you have to pay taxes on wages earned in a given state to that state and region. You know how he was talking about how Jack Eichel, if he lives here for long enough, he has to pay a significant amount of it. He has to pay taxes six months as if he's a resident. Well, there's also a law that says if you earn wages across state lines, you have to pay taxes in that given state. I mean, that, Chris, is why these guys all need accountants. It's almost like sales tax, how sales tax commonly is calculated not based on where product is sold from, but where it ultimately ends up. That's what dictates how much you pay in tax. That's why, like, if you buy something on Amazon... It says, well, here's what the price is, not counting sales tax, because we may have to assess it depending on where it's going, where it came from. So New York State and Western New York benefit a ton from the fact that not only are Bills players' wages taxable and the money that they spend here eight times a year, so are their opponents' wages. When you look at the 2020 schedule, the Bills are slated to play three of the NFL's most highly paid quarterbacks in the league at home. They're also scheduled to pay, play four games, which is half of their schedule against teams in the top 5 for total payroll. That's a ton of lost revenue if the if NFL football doesn't happen.
1: Yeah, it is.
3: I mean, that's yeah. You know, so take that 17 million that we get just from players living here in the area that Paul estimated we we land.
1: Well, if it's around 17 million, that number went down. I did have to buy batteries for Reed's smoke detectors upstairs. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, that was like 20 bucks. (laughs) So Reed's house doesn't burn down.
3: Oh, my God. That's one of the funniest things I've ever heard. But so, Chris, think about that. There's a huge amount that goes into the decision making here. Huge All of that money being pumped into the local economy to try to support our local programs, our schools, everything else. On one hand, no one wants to be spreading a life-threatening illness or putting their friends and family in jeopardy. And that danger will be a reality for as long as we are without not just a recovery vaccine, but also a preemptive inoculation against COVID-19. On the other hand, the reality also exists that with budgets stretched thin and the inevitable drying up of federal and state aid, Without the necessary amount of business required, many of the companies, the, the, Chris, the local businesses that we enjoy, that we rely on, the companies that employ large portions of our local population could simply cease to exist, many of them permanently. It's a tough pill to swallow. And it makes the job that we as people, Chris, we as people, you and me, never mind our elected officials, have to do when trying to make a decision on how to move forward with things. Now, as you heard in the intro to our show, there are talking heads, not just in politics or around the country, but also in the sports world. Who's very, Chris, these are guys whose very careers depend on these sporting events taking place. They're still doubling down on the idea that it would be lunacy for anyone to consider attending sports in 2020. That it's some insane cash grab by money-hungry leagues in order to do it. Even though we've just spent the last hour talking about how much those sports impact our local economy. Now, Chris, with that conversation in mind, in our intro we heard Tony Kornheiser lay out his thoughts on the matter, and I want to revisit that after having heard our guest just talk about the economic realities here. If Western New York lost one-third of its restaurants and bars, in the immediate vicinity of the stadium, what do you think the game day experience for Bills fans would be going forward?
1: I think it'd be a little a little weird if like you got O'Neal's the Beer Garden, uh Danny's and Big Tree Man, Big Tree closed? Holy hell. That's a staple. It's a staple.
3: So what if in twenty twenty one we all hey, we're back, we're here, we're ready to go to Bills games. Except O'Neill's is gone. O'Neill's is gone. Beer Garden's gone. Oh, by the way, a third of the houses on the tract here who kind of relied on this income from parking cars to pay their mortgages, yeah, they're foreclosed. They're rental properties now. Nobody knows who lives there. It's, what's the impact on not just the people
1: who live there, but on the game day experience? Well, geez, if the house forecloses, we just take it over. This is our tailgate. <laughs> This house. We tailgate at this house.
3: Oh my God!
1: I mean, Chris,
2: think
3: about it. If the owner of our lot, the mud lot, he had to cease operations because he couldn't afford the, the uh, what I'm sure are outrageous insurance payments. Yeah, Chris, he has to carry four or five million dollars worth of coverage because he doesn't want to lose his home. If someone does something stupid, he still has to keep paying for that even without us there. So if he can't afford those wild insurances and has to just stop parking cars altogether, what would you do? What would I do? What would our game day experience be like, Chris? We are the closest parking lot to the stadium.
1: That isn't a team owned. That isn't team owned.
3: It, they literally sold a chunk of it to the team. That's how close to the field house it is.
1: Yeah, they sold all that land to build the, uh, the outdoor field next to the field house. And there's a cut through,
3: and we can get there any time in the morning, Chris. We've showed up at six a.m. before the sun's up. There's not even anyone out there collecting money. Yeah. He trusts us enough to just drive down. He usually it's him in an old beat up Cadillac with yep. his golden retriever in the back seat, <laughs> and he drives down to get the money from us. Chris, losing that would be not only not only hard for me to swallow, but also. Chris, it wouldn't be—he wouldn't be the first domino to fall. No. So with that said, there's a lot at stake here. There really is. Now, when you think about what Kornheiser says, even all the communication and preventative steps taken to make people feel better about being at the game, there's no way to guarantee
1: that it's going to be safe, right? Well, I don't agree with any of his comments. I mean, I'll sign a waiver right now. Jesus Christ! Yeah, uh, send me a waiver right now. I'll sign it. We'll give you a blood sample, a hair sample, a semen sample, and a stool sample. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you need for, to get me into that stadium for this season, because I don't think, I don't think as a healthy, relatively healthy, thirty-five-year-old alcoholic with a mohawk problem. COVID generally won't affect me if I get it. I'll be sick for a couple of days, but I'm pretty sure I can beat it. Now, folks,
3: and this is what I'm talking about. When those of you listening to this podcast want to get angry at us about this, this is just one blonde-haired man's opinion. Think about that. The man saying this, he looks like a cockatiel right now. Yeah. With that said, I took these opinions. I I mean... (laughs) You hear Tony Kornheiser talk about how it's a cash grab by the NFL. And <laughs> Chris, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not one of these people who says, oh, no, they're doing it for us. You know, the, the, the team would get fan, find a way to get fans in the stadium because they understand that it's good for the local. That, that Chris, stadium situations and negotiations are essentially a spit in the face of any idea of public goodwill. You can't feed me that bullshit. Business is business. This is more of the same. But with that said, they're going to make money if they can, and if state, if state governments allow it. Now, you've given your opinion. I went out to Reddit, Facebook, and Twitter in poll form and asked Bills fans the same question. If New York State gave its blessing for fans to attend football games, and the NFL agreed so long as those in attendance would sign a, li- a liability waiver protecting the league from reprisal, Would you go? Between Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit, over a 1,000 people voted. And what I found actually surprised me, Chris. 38.5% said that they would not attend football this season, even if New York State gave it its blessing. 38.9% said that they would attend. And then there's the 22.6% who are still conflicted and just couldn't make a decision. I asked for comments. I asked for people to kind of explain and expand on their opinion. And I got a number of them from Reddit. I mean, Chris, I'm going to read one from Rather Not Thank You on Reddit. Can't stop people pissing in sinks. Not going to be able to get people to wear masks. Not a chance I'll be at a game until it's safer. 17 years of being there takes a pause
1: this season. See, if we, if, if we were allowed to be in the stadium, but we had to wear masks, I could see you after the first drive just eating your mask out, <laughs> out of frustration. So, Josh Allen did something. And some some you know security Tony, would be like, hey Drew, you got to put your mask on. I ate it. I,
3: oh, I hate you. Another one. The av- the average bro on Reddit. Says, special case here, I'm in the D.C. area, and when I visit home in winter, I treat my mom to a game. This year is likely a complete no from both of us. P.S., love the podcast, congrats on becoming a father. Chris, this guy. Think about how many people have had their lives disrupted by COVID already. A lot. A football game doesn't seem like a bridge too far. That seems like an easy thing to just say no to, right? Yeah. I mean people lost their weddings people lost. my wife my wife lost her baby shower she lost her what her 30th birthday then a baby shower then the ability to have her family in the hospital for our, for our child's birth and then she had to deal with me being a nazi about every single person who comes over to our house who plans on touching my kid
1: I haven't touched him yet absolutely
3: nor will you I'll fight you with a stick.
1: I think. Well, I think his his main argument here, because the DC area, when I come home to visit in winter, think about how a lot of people talk about the how big Bill's mafia is. You have to realize that a lot of it is everybody goes to high school here, and then and they leave, and then they leave, and they go to college, and then generally get a job out of college. Because we're the Rust Belt, or, or no, they get a job. Like a lot of people might go to like go down south to like Auburn or Alabama, and then they might migrate over to Atlanta, the nearest big city, and get a job. And then when it's time to you know maybe you're dating somebody, start a family, then you'll move back up to Buffalo. My cousin's done that, where you move you move back. So in that early twenties window where you're in college, out of college for your first job, and you come back home to visit, whether it's Thanksgiving. Or Christmas, a lot of times you'll just you'll end up going to that Bills game because that's the one game you can make all year. That's fair.
3: Another one from a Reddit user whose name I liked is Sentient Ooze. <laughs> he said, no, I won't. Fluid transmission and being in such close quarters could easily spread sickness. I don't want the state of things to get worse. I want it to get better as quickly as possible so that we can all go to games, concerts, and whatever we want without even to worry about getting sick. Don't want to risk anyone else's health or livelihood, and if we shut down again, who knows how the economy would handle it. That's a fair point, Chris. We just spent over a half hour talking to someone who works in analyzing that kind of data about how bad things are now, and we're just starting to climb out of it. If we were to double down, it would be catastrophic. There again, though, you have other people. Dogbone Jay says... As of now, I'm playing it safe, but if by chance I get the COVID antibodies before then, I'd be in that hoe. I'm not going to censor these folks. These are real people's opinions. <laughs> Another one says I don't know how to answer this poll, but I live in Montana. Try to go to one road game a year, which I won't do this year, but if there's a home playoff game that has fans, I'll be in Buffalo. See, Chris, he's probably a person who falls on the fence. Yep. On the fence. Aneurysm says, "If they're allowing fans, I'm going. I have PP if required, and I'm willing to sign a waiver." Chrissy seems firmly in
1: your camp. Yeah, I'll sign a waiver. <laughs> Coronavirus: the cases are going up, but deaths keep going down, and the average age of people of people having this, I think, is like 35.
3: Another disclaimer: no one should be taking their scientific cues from Chris. The man who thinks it's okay to walk around. Chris, you wear untucked shirts, like untucked, T-U-C-K-T. Untuck it. Untuck it, whatever it is. You wear those with Sperry's, and much like Cliff Kingsbury during the draft, you're busting out of them. Your dad bod is unstoppable. I know. Your judgment is suspect, and therefore, I don't take any of these things. I don't take any of your opinions here seriously. I think the... Chris, one of the most drastic comments we received was from Bill's Mafia Bra, who said, I would sign any document on Earth and literally go homeless to stay away from my family to go to one game this year.
1: My kind of (laughs) dude.
3: What an idiot.
1: My kind of dude. I'm talking about you, not him. Oh. (sighs) So,
3: Chris, I already know where you stand on this. Me personally, it's hard. I have to say I'm in that conflicted group because Chris, you know me. Chris, you know me to be the guy. There's a reason I have our season tickets now. Yeah. There's a reason I've been the the I'm the owner of our tailgate equipment. That I'm the guy who's driving the train to get to the field as early as possible. That I'm dr- trying to make the tailgate experience Every year I'm coming to you with new equipment I'm buying and new things that I'm investing in and new things that I want to do to try to make the game day experience that much better. That's how much I love what it is we get to do and our fandom of the Buffalo Bills and the fact that we get to attend these games. And that was fine when I was the only person I had to think about. Now I've got somebody whose entire life depends on me. And everybody talks about oh, you get soft once you have a kid, and I constantly balked at that idea. I can sit here in front of you right now and and tell you, Chris, I don't know what I would do. I paid for the season tickets. I'd still, I'd still go. I'd or I'd pack the truck. If I wasn't ready to go, I'd still allow you guys to have the type of Sunday you want to have.
1: Yeah, we're. I would go to a game, and if you're still on the fence, I'm not breaking tradition, I'm getting at your house at 6 a.m., I'm breaking into your house, and getting your truck keys, and I'm driving your truck to the stadium. I'd leave them in the mailbox for you. And I'm taking also my car keys so you can't drive my Mazda.
3: Yeah, because that's a thing I want to do. Yeah. Yeah, I want to stop driving a pickup truck so I can cram myself into a Mazda 3. Yeah, my Mazda 3 is (sighs) amazing. Ultimately, Chris, I don't know what I would do. I'm part of that conflicted group, and I'm pretty sure most of Bill's mafia agrees with me on this. Even though they came out as the minority party in the group. Chris, the people who say no unequivocally probably have a reason.
1: Yeah, they might have a compromised immune system. Or Or they
3: just feel very strongly about this. Yeah. The people who say yes are probably in your camp, who for some reason you keep treating this lightly. I'm not going to say you're right, not saying you're wrong, but you and I have an agreement here, a gentleman's agreement. If you get me sick... Or, God help you, my wife's sick. She gets to watch me beat you up. We've
1: talked about this. We've shook hands on it. You're the only one that will get your wife sick. I mean, you. Do, she does let you breathe on her. So That's all on you. But with that said, knowing what I have at stake at
3: home, I can't with any... I am one of the most diehard football fans you'll come across. Chris, I threw a one-man tailgate in the snowstorm during that Colts game in 2017.
1: That's impressive.
3: By myself at 7 a.m., I endured a blizzard in order to tailgate. And I'm standing here telling you I don't know what I would do. Chris, it's going to be a long road. And as we've illustrated here tonight, there's a lot more than simple science that our leaders have to take into account when it comes into their decision-making and how they allow businesses like the NFL and the Buffalo Bills to proceed and what they're gonna do to try to to keep us safe from ourselves. All we can do is remain hopeful, be as safe as we can reasonably be, and hope that there's some clarity on the situation, both from a governmental and a scientific standpoint, as we get closer to the kickoff of what could truly be a historic season by the Buffalo Bills. And with that, Chris, we gotta get the hell out of here. This Thursday, our next podcast will be dropping. We're going to host WGR 550's Nate Geary in studio for, his tr- for our training camp preview on wide receivers. Chris, arguably one of the more interesting position groups on the roster, correct?
1: Oh, I can't wait to talk about Isaiah McKenzie. <laughs> you, why do you dislike him so much? Because all he's here for is jet sweeps and then whatever that play is of... Josh Allen in the shotgun position and then just goes hot potato and lets it and it gets counted as a pass. And then he just does like an end around. That's all Isaiah McKenzie's good for. And if we need that, I feel like you can get that same kind of production from Robert Foster, oh, who, by the way, is also not bad as a gunner on special teams.
3: It guarantees to be one of the most hotly contested position groups on the roster this summer. We're gonna talk about where our recently drafted newcomers fit. Whose jobs are the most vulnerable? A few surprise candidates to make the final 53 and a whole lot more. Chris? I can't
1: wait for a Nate Geary wide receiver hot take.
3: No, that is know, what, that's what I'm waiting for. You know it's coming, folks. Make sure you check it out. Thank you for stopping by tonight. Chris, we are going to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. Thank you to Paul Lane. And this has been the Rock Power Report.
2: This is Brandon Kelly.